Every summer when I get the chance, I watch the stunning Tour de France. Then, as I've done for 34 years, I jump on a bike and work the gears, pretending to sail down a mountainside while my pedals turn slowly and I enjoy the ride. This is Spectrum West. I'm Al Ross, coasting into your day with news, views, and personalities engaged in the abundant arts, culture, and humanities of West Wisconsin. This week, UW-Eau Claire's guitar professor, Felipe Vargas Magdaleno, will talk and, and will listen. Yeah, I thought I'd be cool and say Felipe, but he says Felipe. What am I going to do? I like it, though. A trio of good musical friends who share a long-distance relationship, Sue Orfield, Ellen White, and John Mullen. We started talking, and I hit the record button. Simple as that. Dean Collinback spends a few minutes with a new women's division world horseshoe pitching champ who just happens to be 15 years old and from Chippewa Falls. And let's christen this voyage and launch the good ship Swest here. Every year, a mysterious but talented group of friends and musicians rises to the stage of the Heidi Center present a play, a musical, that spotlights yet another facet of history for the people of Chippewa Falls. This year, it's a park, and yet it's difficult to call Irvin Park just a park. It's a large natural wonderland in which families, young and old, gather, celebrate, commemorate, uh, reunite, play, rejuvenate, and learn. This year, the Swampers present Curvin Through Irvin. Written, as usual, by Jerry Way. You obviously have been with me as a guest for many times. Enjoy it every over time. Over the show. Me too. I searched my brain to find a question that I may have never posed ah. to Jerry Way. Did you find one? No. But, <laughs> I, uh, but that's just my mind now. I didn't, I didn't go through my notes. Your name pops up in conversations with people of all levels of success, musicianship, and basically life in general. You've been a retired teacher how long now? Since 2007. How many years did you teach? I taught uh, 33 years in the schools. So all the schools, you were the music guy that meant you traveled around? Mm-hmm. Some band, some choir, and some general music in the elementary schools, too. Mm -hmm. All the levels. My school teaching started at McDonald High School. That was in the fall of 1967. I always liked music. It was kind of a relief when the music teacher walked into the room, you know, because it was going to be lighter than what we had been talking about. And when I was a kid, uh, we didn't use terms like high tech. But mm -hmm. one, one of the tools that music teachers had that I thought was the coolest, that contraption that a teacher would walk up to the blackboard with, and it held five pieces of chalk. Oh, and yeah. And you could draw a staff in one swoop. That was high tech in, in those oh, days, yeah. oh, wasn't it? Yeah. Are you kidding? <laughs> did you have one of those? You had yes, to. I did. You had to. Certainly it. did. Yeah, yeah. Use it often. I used to just marvel at that. In fact, after class, I'd go up and look at it. Who invented this? How cool is that? It draws all five lines of the staff at the same time. At the same time. Yeah, what a, what a concept. Yeah, they were parallel. And they were straight, yeah. Yeah. See, so those are things I remember from back then. <laughs> so here's another one. Uh, do you, did you have a pitch pipe? Yes, yes. So uh, we carry that around. And one of my favorite things when I had uh, high school madrigal singers, we'd go out at Christmas time, especially sing places, but stop to eat like in a McDonald's. And at some point I'd take out the pitch pipe and uh, they would burst into song in, in a four or five part harmony. It just would go over great every time. Mm -hmm. Pitch pipes were usually round. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, they are. 2022, they're still using pitch pipes? Yeah. So as a music teacher, I'm guessing that you are kind of proficient on the piano. I had to have piano proficiency to graduate, and I call it a ranger's piano I play. And I can play voice parts, but I would never hire out as a uh, accompanist or anything like that. So you were educated in music where? At Eau Claire. got my uh, master's degree in uh, in music. For my uh, master's thesis, I wrote a band composition and got to conduct it with the symphony band. It was a high point for me. As we like to do when Jerry shows up, because he's such an interesting guy and has been around the block so many times, a, a few things to refresh ourselves and learn some new facts of the next show. As, as I read it, the musical lumberjacks come out of the swamp to perform. Once each year since uh, 2002, mm. the Swampers have been coming out. 20 years. This, this makes our 20th anniversary <clears throat> of uh, Swamperhood. Another show on a new subject, and uh, Irvin Park seemed to make a wonderful subject for a new a new show. It's called Curvin Through Irvin, Wednesday and Thursday, August 10th and 11th. It's at the Heidi Center. Irvin Park, for me, turned out to be a bigger deal than I thought it was. A couple weeks ago, I had some time to waste, and I did not waste it because I discovered that it certainly is bigger than I thought. I took roads that I hadn't taken before. To have done something like this, you know Irvin Park pretty well, I guess. Huh? Yeah, we, we live pretty close to it, really, and I, I get for walks in there, and I've written many, many songs in that park or after walks in that park. Irvin is a very special place for us. Is there a part of it that inspires you more than any other? The, the whole thing. I, I'm just uh, in, in awe of the whole thing. And our, the songs in our show cover a number of the aspects of the park and single them out and kind of concentrate on them. To give the audience a little bit of a background, 318 acres is what uh, Irvin Park is made out of. William Irvin, he must have been president, I guess, of the Chippewa Lumber and Boom Company. 1906 is when the park was established. The zoo became part of it in 1909. The cool thing about uh, having discovered some of those back roads a couple weeks ago was I, I discovered just more animals. I didn't know they had zebras there. They have zebras there. Yeah, absolutely. The buffalo. Oh, yeah. Well known for the buffalo. Okay, so you decided uh, for the 20th year to put a show called Curvin Through Irvin together. Well, how did you start? One of the interviews, you asked me about the pronunciation of the park, and, and I had all the years uh, till the 90s when we, we were living in Chippewa Falls, had always heard it, Irvine, and always said Irvine. Mm-hmm. And there was a visit from the benefactor's daughter, and her name was Ruth. And she uh, came and, and gave a speech, and she said, by the way, our family name is pronounced as if there were no final E on it, Irvin. That's the way my father always said it. Mm. We had a visit also just more recently from uh, William Irvin's great-grandson, and, and he reiterated the same thing. Their family name is pronounced Irvin. Now, I've never corrected anybody one way or the other on it. It's a tomato-tomato thing, maybe. Yeah, sure. But mm-hmm. um, we, we thought it would be kind of cute to just call this Curvin through Irvin, just to uh, maybe put that out there a little bit stronger mm-hmm. as far as honoring the name of the, the benefactor. Mm-hmm. One of my friends said, uh, well, you, you used a bad rhyme to illustrate that, <laughs> Curvin through Irvin. So, yes, and that's, oh, uh, that's well. what the Swampers are all about, bad rhymes. Know, and, but that's actually what you do. I mean, you curve. Oh, yes, yes. Well, oh. you're always curving through it. And, and uh, Carol, my wife, has been taking photos on all those curving trails. They're going to be projected at the show, and it really illustrates that curving aspect. And if you guys out there in the audience think you know Irvin Park, uh, I suggest you 
come to this show and also go through Irvin again because, as I said, there's lots of nooks and crannies that I had no idea existed. Of course, I don't live in Chippewa Falls. Many times, places like that turn out to be best-kept secrets in cities. I mean, there have been many places Mm -hmm. that people live and they go, you know, I don't like to admit, but I have never gone through. Well, yeah, that can happen. The entire thing. So your your intention when you started putting Curvin through Irvin together was to... You have uh, how many songs in the, in the piece? In the uh, there would be um, hmm, 12 songs. Oh, wow. And they range in topic from? Well, uh, we have one about the ballad of uh, William Irvin, which is his okay. his uh, life story. Uh, one about picnics and that big pavilion that uh, he had right. built in uh, 1906. Uh, the bandstand he had built in 1924. And uh, the first band that played there was the Knights of Pythias band. Oh we have a song about them. In fact, we imitate the band in the song. What did you it, rhyme with Pythias? I did not rhyme that word. <laughs> I used that as an interior word. So when you say bandshell, is that the round? It is, yeah. That's and very stately. And it's a bandstand. And, ornate, and yeah. William Irvin himself uh, sponsored uh, band concerts there for years. He, he oh, he loved, did? He loved band concerts and uh, concerts of all kind and, and had Sunday afternoon concerts there in the park during the summer. Okay. So uh, what else other than Pythias? We honor that little uh, locomotive, little dinky that's at the gates. Uh, We honor the Christmas Village, of course, which takes place uh, famously in Chippewa Falls in in the park. We have a new park called Erickson Park, which is over by Glenlock. And we have photos and, and a song about Erickson Park. And, of course, the new History Center, which is right at the gates of the park, that we have one take, taken a walk back through history. It, it will open uh, this fall. It's it's a brand new facility. Just to put it in reverse for a moment, Little Dinky, you said? Little Dinky is the uh, locomotive. It's a, it's a narrow-gauge locomotive, so it's small in stature. Yeah. And uh, it worked uh, both building the hydro dam uh, and also hauling lumber along the Chippewa River between the big sawmill and the uh, what we call the flats, the area where there used to be a planing mill and mm-hmm. stacks of lumber and everything. So uh, it, it did a lot of work in its day. Now it just uh, rests at the, the park gates. It's retired. And welcomes people. Um, I'm glad you brought up Erickson Park because that's one of the things that I discovered a couple weeks ago. From Irvin Park, you can look down and you see these places where people are parked and walking and looks like there's some new structures. Then if you go down a ways towards the fairgrounds and you cut across, that's how you get to Erickson Park. And then there's some wonderful new docks. Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. And and you can park right in Irvin Park. And mm. then there's a, a walking bridge oh, there is. across the Duncan Creek. And all the way to Erickson Park, back and forth, and it's all it's all beautiful. And once you see it on slides, I'm sure you're going to want to see it for real. You could easily spend the better part of a day in Irvin Park. Oh, yeah, and people do. It's just uh, popular every day of the week. We found that taking photos, that uh, any time we seem to go in there, uh, there's lots and lots of families and, and uh, people there. It's a gem. Chippewa Falls is fortunate to have Irvin Park almost right in the middle. Huh? Is it right in the middle? Or is it in the kind, I, of, I'd kind say, of north yeah. a little bit? It's, it's a little north, yeah. 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 So you have our theme song. I do. Uh, a song called Curvin Through Irvin. And, uh, we always love it when you bring your guitar. And, <laughs> so uh, hit it, Jerry. I'll show you how it goes. <laughs> Curvin' through Irvin' 
high roads and the low roads And places there are no roads Relaxing as we go Being and seeing We savor every minute So thankful to be in it This urban park we know What a treasured gift Will Irvin gave us all His legacy stands tall Crown jewel of Chippewa Falls Curving through Irvin Fair sights and sounds surround us A peaceful spirit found us Where gentle waters flow Wow, I like that. Whereabouts in the show are we going to hear that? What we start the show with the, the song about uh, William Irvin's life, and then it's the next uh, second song in the show. And within the music, we're going to get a, a, a fairly uh, extensive history lesson, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We have lots of factual things that will we'll right. come through, but mm-hmm. in an entertaining way. And uh, I hope everybody will go away having learned something they didn't know before they came in. The Swampers, curving through Urban. Now, the cool thing about this show, they're always cool, but uh, this one has a noon show on Wednesday the 10th and an evening show on Thursday. The 11th, the Wednesday matinee, uh, is lunch Yes, this is, this is a new aspect. We, we have never done a matinee, yeah. and uh, there's kind of been a, a call for that. Yeah. So uh, the box lunch will be at uh, noon, okay. and the show itself will start at 1, and uh, you can order up the lunch and do it that way, or you can just uh, show up and, and uh, see the show, too. And if this isn't an enticement, I don't know what is, you can have your choice of sandwiches, and the names are Jackie and Wilson. The main drag or skinny love. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Those are wonderful sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wednesday, August 10th at noon and Thursday, August 11th at 730. The Swampers curving through Irvin. We can't wait. Jerry, just another wonderful conversation. Keep, oh, keep coming you. back. Thank you, Al. I will. Thanks for having me. Hey, you better look out. Here comes one. Oh, I think there's another one coming. Let me see here. Oh, yeah. That's uh, the sound of a ringer. It's something that happens frequently when Sarah Chafee pitches horseshoes. Dean Collenbach picks up the big story for us. So have you ever wondered what it's like to be the best at something? Maybe you have been the best, maybe the best Trivial Pursuit player in your household. But how about being the best in the world at something? I'm sitting with Sarah Chafee of Chippewa Falls, who just this last weekend in Louisiana won the World Horseshoe Championship in the women's division. And she threw the highest ringer percentage of any pitcher in the tournament. Men, women, children, seniors, doesn't matter. She threw, uh, what, 86.5%? Yeah, 86.5% ringers for the whole tournament. That's amazing. Just to get, give you some perspective, I throw in the Eau Claire uh, Horseshoe Club, and I'm, I'm right about at the league average of 17%, so that's kind of what we're throwing. You, you were two times world champ in the junior girls division, and you had some more years of eligibility there. Why did you move up to the women? I mean, it, 
more like just getting good competition, getting better competition. I mean, playing these women, they're all super duper good. And just I love competition, being able to compete. And uh, the women's division brought a lot more competition and excitement for me. And you got a little prize money uh, boost as well because you had won that uh, junior girls, but the women's uh, prize, 4200 bucks. Yeah, it's a lot of money, especially for a teenager. <laughs> I was going to say, good summer job for a 15-year-old. What's the secret of being an elite horseshoe pitcher? Um, it's mostly mental. I mean, the game is mostly just keeping your focus. And But once you get the mechanics down, which is hard to do, the mechanics of horseshoes is hard. But once you get that down, it's mostly just being in your own head and keeping that focus throughout the whole game. Lose your focus, and it kind of just goes downhill from there. And you just got to keep dialed in the whole game. I'm curious, you know, playing against uh, against women, most of whom are probably twice or maybe even three times your age, um, were there any kind of mind games going on or people trying to break your concentration at that level? I mean, some people tried to slow me down. I play at a really fast pace, so some people did try to slow me down, but I didn't really let it get to my head or anything like that. But I, I had a feeling that was going to happen, trying to take advantage of a teenager, but... It's all, it's all right. I mean, I was able to keep my focus and take it. So you're involved in interscholastic sports. Any of those horseshoe skills translate to other venues? Yeah, 100%. Um, I play golf and basketball, so um, game of golf is really mental as well. So being able to um, bounce back from a bad shot or a bad uh, pitch for horseshoes, I mean, takes a lot of mental focus to play these sports. Dean Collenbach, I'm talking with Sarah Chafee. She was just crowned over the weekend the World Women's Horseshoe Champion at the age of 15, the very youngest person to ever claim that crown. And we're sitting here uh, in the picnic table in front of a Carson Park Horseshoe Pits, some of the nicest in the state, by the way. Eau Claire Horseshoe League plays on Tuesday nights. We have people ages 7 to 76 playing in the league this year. What role has playing here at the Eau Claire Horseshoe Club been in your development? It's been pretty vital. I mean, I've made all these friendships with people since I was eight years old. And um, just coming back here seven years later and just knowing all these people, making these connections has been one of the best things of this sport, uh, making new friendships that last a long time. So if someone is here listening and thinking, hey, that sounds like fun, what do you have to say to encourage them, even if they can't throw 80% ringers? It's going to be really frustrating at first, and it takes practice, but... Not even um, the game of horseshoes. It's, there's more to the game of horseshoes. There's making friends and keeping connections that last a very long time, and which is one, one of my favorite things about the sport is just making new, meeting new people from all across the country, and it's really nice. What's your next horseshoe challenge? I don't really know. I mean, this is kind of the best that I can get right now. Just defending this title is going to be tough on its own because I'm playing all these women that have been in this championship class for 20-some years, and it's going to be really tough to defend this title. So, I mean, that's it's going to be probably the biggest challenge I'll get every year. And you're going to be appearing uh, in Eau Claire. Uh, it'll be the evening of August 9th. That's election night. Uh, but the evening of August 9th at Carson Park, the horseshoe pits are located across the parking lot from the Carson uh, Park baseball field. So if you uh, are interested in coming to see Sarah Chafee and some really good horseshoe players from around the region play, that's a place you can come. Sarah Chafee, thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you. And Al, back to you. Well, thank you, Dean, and you're always welcome. I want you to know that. I have a couple of other ideas of people you can talk to, people who we 
see and are aware of all the time, but you never think of talking to them on the radio. They're part of life, part of culture. That's part of the big title of Spectrum West, arts, culture, humanities. Makes sense, and Dean's a good guy. Did you know that season tickets can now be purchased or renewed for the 22 23 season of the Chippewa Valley Symphony Orchestra? It's called a season of inspiration. Go to box office at pablocenter.org. Well, each summer, except for those recently restricted, Ellen White has taken flight in Portland and crossed the northern tier of states to visit her good friend Sue Orfield to sing and play in Sue's music box for a few gigs. She's also made the trip west many times. Sue has. It was while she lived in Seattle that the two got together. Well, the other day, Sue, Ellen, and Ellen's husband, John Mullen, also a writer, arranger, and producer, well, they all stopped in to say howdy. And I could not resist herding them into the studio. It's been four years since I've been here. Wow. Long time. Yeah. I, I, I think we came and visited you four years ago. Yes, I think we, we did. Well, we did yeah, an interview you better here. come we, every time. Yeah, exactly. Right. I think we came and said, we, we said hello for a minute. and uh, been, Four years? Mm-hmm. Yikes. Lots happened. <clears throat> I have a new granddaughter. She's two and a half years old. Her name is Clara Eloise Star Chown. I gave yeah. her the star name. There you go. Because yeah. mm-hmm. I can. John, welcome. We haven't talked to you. Thank you. <laughs> Good to have you here. You're a, you're a musical guy. Yes, and a professional audience. <laughs> <laughs> straight straight man to uh, exactly write. kind of that's right. exactly right. John writes ninety nine percent of oh, Ellen's yes, Ellen's songs, mm-hmm. the, the lyrics. Yeah. So really? he's the, he's mm-hmm. the lyric writer. He Who writes is. the other one percent? Well, Ellen. Yeah. I have my opinions are the one percent. <laughs> that's right. Uh, She's not shy about sharing them with me. <laughs> That's for sure, because i got to sing this stuff. You know, what do you mean, unrelenting thirst? <laughs> you know, these last uh, four years, obviously, there's been weird stuff, but Portland itself has gone through some pretty strange stuff. There are things yes. being said about Portland that have never been said before. And, yeah. you know, sadly, it's true. Unfortunately, it's yeah. a gathering place for both sides, people coming from out-of-state and in-state, and gathering there. Uh, it's lessened a whole lot since the, mm-hmm. the dark days. Uh, even your weather and fires and junk like that. Yeah. Oh, we had a brutal fire a couple of years ago. Um, the smoke was just awful. And you guys lasted. actually had to evacuate. We had to evacuate, yeah, because yeah. we were at level three. So we went to our daughter's house in North Portland and stayed there. And we were just, if it burns down, well, it's just stuff. You know, we mm-hmm. can start over again. Mm-hmm. But I'd already been in a house fire, so that really triggered me thinking, oh, here we go, part uh, two. Yeah. But we were fortunate enough not to experience that, but it came dangerously close to where we were living. And then we had the terrible summer last year, yes. 117 degrees yes. on oh. June 18th. I'll Unheard never forget of. it. Mm-hmm. Oh, Unheard crazy. of. We broke every record known to humankind. It was awful. The whole summer was really bad. And then we had a terrible ice storm in February of this mm, year. Mm, mm. And it knocked. And our neighborhood looked like a war zone. It had taken down. The ice was so heavy, it took down branches. And just because of the drought, you know, we didn't have enough rain to sustain those 
limbs long enough, and uh, it was horrible. How has it. that disrupted how people who live there feel about it? Do you now have new fears about things? Because Portland's always been, come on, let's admit it, it's always been, you know, Mecca for several things. Right, right. And I say environmentally, I think I'm more aware now of climate change than I've ever been before. That has really been put in front of me. It's just something that I'm starting to get a little more attentive to Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. paying attention and just trying whatever I can to not leave such a big... Big ugly footprint yeah. on the climate by doing things that are unnecessary. Like I don't drive nearly as much as I used to, and I don't have you know an electric car yet. But mm-hmm. when they finally get a little more refined, I may actually think about doing that. I just heard point. there's going to be a VW microbus all electric called the Buzz. <laughs> the Buzz. Yeah, That's I got so a perfect name. <laughs> wow. Yeah, let's get two of them, honey. <laughs> I want a Buzz car. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like fun. Don't drive buzz, but you can drive a buzz. Right, yes. exactly. <laughs> drive a buzz. Yeah. So let's talk individually. How did you all come out of the weirdness? Because, Sue, you, you're, you're the kind of person that you just don't take the batteries out of. Right. You know, yeah. And, and if you do, <laughs> it's a yeah. description. It was, so the whole 2020 thing was, for so many of us, and for myself included, just really dark. It made me realize, oh, I've always known, but it made me really realize how important it is to for me to do what I do, to play music for people and with people. Having people mm-hmm. there, I tried doing a few of the on-screen things, and, mm-hmm. and Ellen and I have talked about this, too. It's just so, it was so not happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was terrible, but coming out of it. May of 21. In 2020, we did a, a few outdoor concerts. We did one in our parking lot. Like We just played for free. We were like, hey, come on. We put a tip jar out. And people came and sat far away from each other outside. And it was glorious. Yeah. And May of May of 21, uh, we started to kind of really, really play again um, outside. Our job now, though, is to make sure, because we can do it pretty easily and uh, pretty quickly, to just not get back in that take-it-for-granted groove. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <clears throat> Excellent point. Exactly right. I- I'm ridiculously busy again. Yeah. The batteries are back in. <laughs> they never came out. Exactly. Oh, they did. They, they they absolutely did come out yeah. during 2020. I mean, oh, yeah. I, 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 I learned some good stuff from that. But as you say, I'm back at it. But now it's our moment to understand that we don't take this for granted. We played yesterday at River Prairie. It was a lovely, windy, beautiful, sunny day, wonderful audience. And it was just fabulous to, first of all, play music with Ellen again, but then just the people, there were like just that that thing, that whole vibe where there's it's just a feeling. Uh, man, no, don't take it for granted. I mm-hmm. agree. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. Mm-hmm. Has that kind of philosophy and psychology and stuff been reflected in what you write, John? Well, a, a little bit of that, and a little bit of it before any of this happened. Thinking about what's really important and trying to write about that. I mean, there's a lot times. of COVID stuff. I'm not. I guess I'm not getting at that, but yeah, a couple of things. We're all getting older, mm-hmm. and we have had uh, speed bumps that we weren't used to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's something we talk a lot about, and uh, Ellen and I spent some time during those pandemic lockdown times talking about our lives in general and what kinds of things come next and even preparing for, as Jane Goodall ca- calls, the uh, the next great thing, mm. which is <laughs> death. <laughs> and not to be morbid about yeah. it, but it does bring your attention back to what's mm-hmm. important today. Give me an example of song title that you've written that might be more reflective than you're known for. 
Uh, I think probably the song Calling that I uh, wrote uh, when a friend of mine uh, passed away. wrote it uh, back in uh, August of 2001, and when people heard the song, they related it to 9-11 and about um, our ability to come together and to live better lives. So that's that's one thing that I mm-hmm. would point to. Mm-hmm. And, it's a great song. And Ellen and I, of course, have written a number of songs that really reflect the times that we live in. Mm-hmm. It used to be that maybe you guys experienced this when you're on stage looking out over the crowd. I always felt like that crowd was kind of on the same page. We're all kind of a happy family. But a lot of what's gone on in the last uh, five, six years has proven that we're not necessarily on the same same page. page. Oh, that's true. Mm -hmm. I don't like the cynical side of me, although he's kind of (laughs) cool. At I times, like the cynical side of you, Al. At, at times, <laughs> I, I guess the word that I use most often now is I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. I've had some discussions, John, over the years with the likes of uh, Peter Yarrow and Greg Brown and some of the wonderful songwriters. You know, there used to be a time when we were really good at writing protest songs. Mm-hmm. During those times mm-hmm. that we were really good at it, they seemed to make a difference. You know, they were exuding what we were thinking Mm -hmm. and and feeling and things. Mm -hmm. Any of that going on in the songwriting community? Because they say that they're still being written. We just don't hear them. Well, we we wound up uh, resurrecting a song, and some of your listeners will feel differently about this, but the whole idea of uh, what freedom of choice means. We wrote Mm -hmm. a song called Song for Rosie back in the 90s, and it just seemed like the right time to bring it back. Um, and Ellen also just uh, one day just decided for the times and, and the place that she was in to sing Blowing in the Wind, uh, just to sing something really, yeah. a classic song that really brought our attention of our generation to things that could be different. Ellen White today versus Ellen White 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Uh, well, I'm going back to a lot of great classics like Steely Dan, we're revisiting those and giving them a little makeover, stylized by my keyboardist and bass player, Jean-Pierre Garau and Gene Hauck. We just take these songs and we make them our own. We, we're doing Carry On by uh-huh. Crosby, Stills oh, & cool, Nash, and cool. I love playing it because I've got a Gill guitar, and I do that tuning, and that guitar just stays forever in that tuning. I'll never change it <laughs> as long as I live because it's such a great song to strum and play. I, I just feel like I'm in the sandbox yeah. in the playground. <laughs> it's the best feeling ever. And, and the lyric, love is coming to us and all. And love is coming to yeah. us all. I mean, it's mm-hmm. so wonderful. So we are, you know, bringing back some of the classics while we're still keeping our original music in front of people who've never heard us. You've also been Uh, doing a fair amount of solo concerts, right? I have. Which is definitely different. That is very different for me. In the last four months, I'm getting a lot of calls to do solo work. I started that way in the early 80s, and then I got bored with myself. (laughs) And then I became very band-dependent, just because I love accompanying good players. For me, I'm not just a rhythm guitar player, but I am the audience up there, enjoying Sue, enjoying Randy, enjoying Mike Schlenker, enjoying Mm -hmm. all these great players here in town. To me, that's where the party is, playing and backing everybody up. But the solo thing is good because it's forcing me to look at a lot of different materials so that I can keep it interesting for Mm. people. I do a lot of assisted living shows as well. They are all into listening to the Mm -hmm. 50s and 60s, and there's a plethora of that kind of music out there. So I'm just grabbing these tunes and Mm -hmm. putting them in the book and performing them. 
And Ellen really gives back in an intergenerational way, doing artist-in-residence work in schools. That's interesting because she introduces kids to music that they have never heard, but also helps them write songs. And it's just really been a pleasure to see that new phase of Ellen's life unfold. So this association's been going on how long? We met in, I want to say, 98. 98, okay. 98, I think it was. We were in a blues festival together in Republic, Washington. Uh uh And after the blues festival, there was a post-festival jam in one of the bars. And it was Nicole Fournier, you and I, we got up on that stage. And I don't know who else was up there, but we tore it up. So super fun. It was just instant. So we exchanged phone numbers. Uh And knowing that Sue lived in Seattle, I lived in Portland. We said, well, why don't we just, like, get together? And so Sue came down quite a bit to play with our band. And then we took her to Burbank, California to record Standing at the Sunrise. She was with us then. It's been great. I mean, we've just stayed in touch all these years. And she was just in town with my band again in March of this year. Wish it could have been longer, but we had a lot of fun. I have to tell you one story, Elle. We were on tour with her band, and we were in Folsom, California. Ellen and I were like, we need to have a little shot of caffeine. It was the middle of the day. So we went into this bar, and we're like, we need some caffeine. We don't want any booze. We just need caffeine. He's like, I got just the thing for you. And he took a tumbler, and he put cold Coca-Cola in the tumbler, and then he brewed up two shots of espresso. And he dropped the espresso into the tumbler of Coke. And you shoot it. You drink it. Like, <sighs> we were flying. And we have since christened it. What did we christen it? The Wow. The Wow. The White Orfield Wonder. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. See? You guys, yeah, you guys that got it. Anyway, that has nothing Do you have it yet? We just talked about the fact that we might have to go down to the goat and have them make us a wow. Could be a new hit for them. You, you, you definitely oh, want yeah. to try this at some point, Al. And all you people listening. It's a great ride. It's fabulous. <laughs> we were flying yeah. <laughs> in Folsom, California. <laughs> Tempos went from here <laughs> to here. Oh, boy. <laughs> I love sound effects in my <laughs> We didn't plan on this, but uh, often that turns out to be the best stuff. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, guys. Thank oh, you, Such Al. a pleasure. Thank you. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. This is, like, really fun. Yeah. yeah. Listening to Spectrum West, thank you so much for doing so. In a chat with guitarist Emily Watkins a couple weeks ago, the fact that UW-Eau Claire had no guitar specialist on the faculty for a number of years came up. And you know what? You could hear her voice brighten when mentioning the fact that they have one now. He's quite impressive. Felipe Vargas Magdaleno is associate lecturer, guitar area coordinator, and teacher of several classes. Let's make his acquaintance. Let's talk about your education. Uh, In Brazil, you got a bachelor's um, degree in music, master's of music at uh, the University of Arizona, and uh, you're in the process of of completing your your doctorate of musical arts, University of Kentucky. Yes, it should be completed this year. Now I'm in the process of writing the dissertation. I'm going to get selfish here for a minute because uh, about a decade ago, I became infatuated with Brazilian music, the bossa nova stuff and Jobim. Tell us about Brazilian music. Bossa nova is 
the main style that people know Brazil for, but mm. as as the country itself and the people there, like the music's very diverse. So like, for example, the, the state where I come from, which is Rio Grande do Sul, is the southernmost state of Brazil. Mm. It has a completely different style of music that sounds much more like uh, music from Argentina and Uruguay than the rest of Brazil, ah. just because we are at the border with them. In the northeast, you have the the Bayon and the Forró, which are a lot of uh, modern uh, jazz musicians adopt that rhythm uh, in their compositions. And not only Brazilian jazz musicians, but all over the world. Like Bayon became kind of a jazz fusion rhythm that is has been well adopted. And even Jobim, that you mentioned, there's a, a song or a piece, if I may call it that way, that is called Suichi Gabriela. And it's in three movements, and it, it borrows a lot of uh, rhythms and sonorities from the northeast of Brazil, uh, which also in, in more technical musical terms is not, is not as tonal as Bossa Nova is, is more modal, so more folk music, I would say. So yeah, there are all those styles. Of course, Bossa Nova, when it came, it uh, was, again, fresh and different. But before that, you had uh, artists like Carmen Miranda that also helped uh, spark the Bossa Nova movement with her guitarist, uh, Anibal Augusto Sardinha, uh, also called Garoto. He came to the US and he heard jazz and he started to mix the Brazilian music with the jazz chords. And then he was precursor of the bossa nova 10 years before the bossa nova uh -huh. but she was also a well-regarded artist here in the west it, there are some even like heavy metal bands uh -huh. good for you <laughs> there are uh, worldwide famous the, uh, the most famous uh, i think would be sepultura it's not my style of music but they are incredible in what they do and they did incorporate uh, brazilian rhythms in that style of music that was also new and uh, fresh uh, and I, I think that helped their career a lot once uh -huh. they started incorporating Brazilian music. So when Felipe is a young boy in Brazil and he decides that he'd like to play the guitar, as far as music education for young people, Brazil, does it have a good system of uh, music education? Unfortunately not. It used to have up until the 40s, 50s, Hector uh, Villa-Lobos, uh, the Brazilian classical composer that's most known outside of Brazil, he implemented the system, but also that system at the same time was very tied to the politics of the time and the dictatorship that we had at the time. So uh -huh. once that form of government was out, that uh, system also was out and, and music education started to fade away from schools. So, uh, now it is getting a little bit better. You have the universities that work with community programs to provide uh, music education for the communities. But uh, for a long time, we didn't have anything to replace that. So a lot of the musicians, they start learning by themselves or learning with friends or with some private lessons in their neighborhood with someone that has a private studio. Mm. But there's not a solid music education system to prepare you to be a, a professional. It varies a lot from state to state, from city to city, but in general, unfortunately, that's something that Brazil is still lacking. As a result, my music education came really, really late, actually. Mm -hmm. I started playing electric guitar when I was uh, around 14, 15, and 
I spent a good uh, four years, I guess, just learning by myself, as I described. At that time, who were your heroes? Who were your guitar heroes? I started uh, playing guitar because uh, MTV came to Brazil, and uh -huh. at that time, heavy metal and grunge were, were exploding on MTV, so I really liked Metallica and Nirvana and all those groups of the, the, the 90s. Yeah, uh, so I was very much into heavy metal, and then I started to notice the, the instrumental guys that are more rockers, like Steve Vai uh, and Joe Satriani, and I liked that a lot. And then a little bit later, I was presented to Pat Metheny and Joe Paz. I had a teacher that showed me all this, uh, was Montgomery, the jazz guitarists, and I, I started to enjoy that style more and finally when I would have the opportunity to finally get my music education that's another characteristic of Brazil now it's different but it was like that back then you didn't have any popular music uh, universities they were all classical uh -huh. which doesn't make a lot of sense <laughs> Brazil <laughs> having great popular music and not having popular music degrees uh, but now that's changing thankfully Good. so I, I had to do classical guitar because it was the only option but I ended up uh, falling in love with the style and, and with the variety of repertoire they have to play from 1500s to today and Good. if i want to sound bossa nova but playing classical guitar i can if i want to sound baroque i can if i want to sound jazz i can that's just an incredible palette of styles that I, I really really loved we're on the phone with felipe vargas magdaleno associate lecturer at the university of wisconsin eau claire where he teaches beginner classroom guitar, applied classical guitar, jazz guitar, etc. His name arose in a conversation that I had a couple of weeks ago with uh, Emily Watkins, uh, her education in the guitar. And uh, surprisingly, there was no guitar professor at UW-Eau Claire when she attended. Now there is, and uh, they've become friends. You've been at UW-Eau Claire almost two years now. Not a big university compared to the ones that you have degrees from, but very well known as a wonderful music school. You're really a marvelous piece of the puzzle that had been missing, I think. Tell me about your impressions of uh, UW-Eau Claire since coming here. Oh, yeah. My professor uh, told me about that uh, position. He happens to know Eau Claire, so he told me a lot of nice things about the city uh, and uh, about the school, and I became very interested. Mm -hmm. And as you said, it is not a big university, but it's a very important university for music. We have kids coming from uh, a lot of different places to study music here and music education and to be part of the, the jazz program too and to be part of the jazz ensembles. So it's a very lively music department. I, I, I am lucky to have also incredible colleagues that I play with three, four times a year uh, in different projects, concerts at Pablo at our series mm -hmm. or in other venues. So it has been a, a great experience for me to be teaching along great musicians, but also have the opportunity to play with them constantly uh, and have this very nice environment where people really want to play, really want to make music. That has been great. And also the students, since I got here to implement a guitar program that we didn't have before, as you said, 
they have been extremely uh, receptive uh, and eager to have this program and do more and more stuff each year. So uh -huh. that's that's what I have been working on lately to create more guitar-related courses, to find ways to incorporate more people, uh, regardless if they're music majors or not, or people from the community. It has been a wonderful experience to start this program with the great support of wonderful colleagues. You not only talk the talk, but you walk the walk. From what I've read, you began some festivals when you were still in Brazil. You have a new festival. Uh, mm -hmm. I think you had one, and now you're going to hopefully grow it to its uh, second annual. What better way to hang out with people who think like you and uh, play like you than to have festivals and to bring them here? Yeah, I, I really think this is a great way to make a lot of great things happen around here in Eau Claire uh, from a studio for our school and for the community. That was something that was a huge impact for me when I was in Tucson, Arizona, that I had the opportunity to see all those international students coming from China, Peru, Chile, Norway, France. I had colleagues from everywhere and they all had a different style of playing and they had something different to bring to the table. Uh, and sharing with them was uh, as valuable as all the other classes I had. So the group of students that I was in, I could get as much information as I could get from my professors. Uh, that was very valuable. Uh, so my idea is to be able to bring people with those different perspectives, different styles, uh, and different uh, learning backgrounds to be able to share with our students, with our community. I started, as I said, doing that in Brazil. There was uh, the opportunity to do it here, so I had the experience. It is uh, a lot of work, but it pays off it's always incredible oh, and, yeah. and seeing like how that motivates the students that's that's great good for you and thank you for doing that um you may have noticed there are some pretty good guitar players around this part of the world yes of course you know i moved here in august 2020 so it was the peak of the pandemic <laughs> to a place that i didn't know at all and having to start a program so it was isolating as it was for everyone uh, although as i said like i had this wonderful group of colleagues uh, and but i read so much about eau claire before coming here about the music venues and everything that happens in the summer and i was really excited about that oh, <laughs> I, I when i moved i didn't have the opportunity to be at those places and to enjoy so now i'm having a little bit more time as you mentioned i met emily and she's really really great and there are other other musicians that that I'm really eager to know in the area and to uh -huh. do things together. One more thing I want to bring up, because it, it's important and it deserves kind of a thank you, is that you founded an outreach program to help music be a part of the lives of underprivileged young people. I can't think of a nicer thing to do, so thank you from future generations. Is that something you plan on continuing? Is that part of who you are? Yes, it is. It is something that I, I plan to implement here in, in some shape as I am uh, now a little bit more stable in terms of the classes that I created and the car is running in terms of the guitar studio. <laughs> so I can start put more effort on that. I was part of a wonderful program as, as a teacher. It was basically that model uh, of like offering music education for kids until they were 17, 18, the age to get to university. Mm. Now that I'm in Eau Claire, mm. that's something that I also want to do 
for me is a way to give back because I had like some wonderful teachers, private teachers and, uh, and friends that taught me so much for free. And just because they believed I should pursue this career and hopefully help to find some talents out there and uh, just put more music uh, in people's lives and, uh, okay. and have people uh, have more appreciation for music. That talent is out there. I have a feeling guys like you are going to uncover it. It's been a pleasure talking with you, and uh, I hope to meet you in person someday. I have a feeling we will. And thank you for all you've done since you've arrived, and we're looking forward to watching you uh, make such a big difference in the UW-Eau Claire Music Department. Thanks again. Well, thank you very much, all, and I'm really looking forward for us to meeting in person and playing some guitars. Felipe Vargas Magdaleno doing some West Montgomery there. Hmm, that's good stuff. Can't wait to hear more. Got some Spectrum memos for you before we leave. Some theater news. Eau Claire Children's Theater is presenting The Little Mermaid through Sunday. That's at the Pablo Center. Uh, Let's see, next up for them is uh, The Lion King, and that's at the Oxford, early August, I believe. The Music Man, everybody's looking forward to that. That's August 10th through 12th at the uh, Northern Wisconsin State Fairgrounds. What a cool venue to watch a play. The Eau Claire, um, uh, let's see, that's the Eau Claire Children's Theater, ECCT.org is their website. Chippewa Valley Theater Guild presents Shakespeare's Comedy of Errors. Tonight, the 28th, if you're listening on Thursday, and tomorrow night, so you have Thursday and Friday to go. That's at the Grand Theater. Thanks to Rick and Kate for the plugs, and thank you all for hanging with us. We're working on an impressive list of guests. Uh, Coming up in a couple weeks, we're not going to be around next week, but we'll be back on the 11th, I believe the date is. Remember, you can catch archived past episodes at WPR.org, and there are podcast sites out there that carry our good noise as well. I'm Al Ross. Thanks again to Dean Collenbach for his contribution. Looking forward to some more. See you in a couple weeks. Thanks.